Right. All right. So, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Indicator Cast, episode 37. And uh, tonight we're here to talk about a series of films from the August lineup of um, this year. And this includes three titles. But tonight I'm joined with, as usual, Tony, Tony Meachus. How are you doing? Good, sir. Doing very well. Thank you, John. How about you? Good. Doing well. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's uh, just, just a little tired from supernova on the weekend which was ah uh, yes of course uh tony and i went to a sort of a convention so like a comic con and uh that was a lot of fun so yeah that was, was very cool and um and also joined here with the regular brian kendall how are you doing sir yeah i'm good i'm good man thank you i'm just chilling out in sunny old melbourne which actually it was sunny today it wasn't raining so it's nice oh. Nice. It was a little bit better here in uh, here in Sydney. It was a little sunny today, then it started raining. But uh, mm. as we enter winter, yes. And um, and joined, returning as always, uh, a very special guest. Um, we have Suzanne. How are we doing this evening, Suzanne? I'm good. I'm wearing my Lincoln green and ready to go. Excellent, excellent. And uh, Suzanne is here to talk about a few topics, but in particular, there's one that. Uh, caught your attention shall we say so um I'm, I'm glad to have you on to give us a bit of history on on uh well, well we won't spoil it we'll leave it for that in a second so uh cool so we'll get into it so there's three titles from this month robin hood hammer two tales from sherwood forest uh the swimmer and madigan um so we'll start off with robin hood at hammer two tales from Sher- sherwood uh, forest with the clash of sword against sword, his name and fame swept across a nation. Robin Hood, the outlaw, whose legendary adventures still live today. Richard Green as Robin Hood, who matched his courage and his men against the forces of the law. Sheriff, no trap. This is not a game, madam. I'm dealing with criminals. Peter Cushing is the cruel and ruthless sheriff of Nottingham. Niall McGuinness is Friar Tuck. Richard Pascoe, the treacherous Earl of Newark, who plotted to kill the most powerful man in the kingdom. All is arranged. A dozen men have left the castle dressed as outlaws. So, uh, this is a 1960 film directed by Terence Fisher. Um, and there is another film called The Challenge for Robin Hood, which is from 1967. So, uh, Britain's best-loved outlaw gets the hammer treatment in Robin Hood and Hammer, two tales from Sherwood Forest. In 1960's Sword of Sherwood Forest, Richard Green, the, blue, the blood of Fu Manchu, the castle of Fu Manchu, reprises the role he made famous for in his classic television series The Adventures of Robin Hood. Directed by Terence Fisher the Gorgon, the Revenge of Frankenstein, and starring Peter Cushing of the Devil's Men, Corruption, as a dastardly sheriff of Nottingham, the film sees Robin Hood thought with a plot to assassinate the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is portrayed by uh, Jack Glim, uh, Jason of the Argonauts, and the Curse of the Mummy Tomb. The film also boasts an uncredited early role for Oliver Reed, obviously the system and the damned. Also on the disc, we have an, the second disc. We have a 1967 film called *The Challenge for Robin Hood*, which was um, uh, Barry Ingham, which is also *The Day of the Jackal*. 
Um, Don's a Lincoln Green as he is merry men hide out in Sherwood Forest after his cousin, Peter Blythe, Frankenstein creator woman, frames him for murder. This action-packed adventure features acting support from Guy Hamilton, Barry Lyndon, the duelist, and Leon Green, Adventures of a Private Eye, Adventures of a Plumber's Mate. This two-disc limited edition set contains a double-sided poster, 80-page book, and extensive new archival extras, including the much-loved children's film foundation um, film, Robin Hood Jr., 1975, starring Keith Chegwin, multi-coloured swap shop, and Chegger's Play Pop as the um, diminutive hero. So this special edition includes, uh, there's quite a few extras here. This is a high-definition remasters of Sword of Sherwood Forest and a challenge for Robin Hood, original mono audio, audio commentary on Sword of Sherwood Forest with author and critic Kim Newman, 2022, audio commentary on a challenge for Robin Hood with film historians Kevin Lyons and Jonathan Rigby, 2022, the BEHP interview with Sydney Cole, 1987, archival audio recording made as part of the British Entertainment History Project featuring the Sword of Sherwood Forest producer in conversation with Alan Lawson, Arthur Granham, um, <clears throat> and Rodney Giesler. Uh, the BEHP interview with CM Pennington Richards, 1990, archival audio recording made as part of the British Entertainment History Project featuring the director of A Challenge for Robin Hood in conversation with Alan Lawson and Colin Moffat. Uh, Jonathan Rigby on Sword of Sherwood Forest, 2022, appreciation by the author and film historian. We also have Kim Newman on Robin Hood, 2022. The author and critic surveys the many cinematic portrayals of the world-famous English outlaw. Hammer's Woman, uh, Vanda Godsell, 2022, profile of the British stage and screen performer. Hammer's Woman, Irene Lamb, 2022, profile of the casting director whose career encompassed many Hammer productions, Star Wars, and the films of Sally Potter. Appreciation of the Alan Hoddenit and Gary Hughes score by David Huckvale, author of Hammer Film Scores and the musical Avat Grand. Um, Robin Hood Jr., 1975, Children's Film Foundation spin on the folk hero starring uh, actor, starring uh, actor and television presenter Keith Chedwig as uh, Ch Chegwin as the uh, young outlaw. Original theatrical trailers, image galleries, onset promotional materials, new and improved English, uh, audio subtitles, limited edition 80-page book, including essay by Frank Collins, archival interviews and articles, um, Jeff Billington on Robin Hood Jr., an overview of contemporary reviews and film credits. Uh, also includes a poster and you have this as a limited edition to 5,000. So, wow, okay, that is quite a set for a um, series I did not know, like I said, I did not know that Ham made um, Robin Hood films. So this just kind of amazes me that there's so much context in here. But I'll, um, I'll pass it over to you, Suzanne, because you've got a little bit to tell us about Robin Hood and this set, if you um, don't mind giving us a bit of insight. Sure. Yeah, that's a lot of extras. Um, and as you said, <clears throat> Hammer is really best known for its horror output, but they made lots of other films. And these indicator box sets have let us become more familiar with some of these other genres that Hammer delved into. And now they're giving us this fabulous box set featuring two of Hammer's Robin Hood outings. 
So we've got the Sword of Sherwood Forest from 1960, which, as you mentioned, saw Richard Green reprise his famous TV role of Robin Hood from the 50s TV series, The Adventures of Robin Hood, which ran for 143 episodes from 1955 to 1959, gaining great popularity, which helped kick off a renewed interest in Robin Hood and a new cycle of Robin Hood movies, including these Hammer adaptations. Swashbucklers were in vogue again, so these colourful adventures to lure people back to cinemas and away from their TV screens, but the Italians had already been busy churning out their own cycle of swashbuckler and adventure films during the epic film peplum craze of the 50s and 60s. These Italian swashbuckler films, known in Italy as Kappa Esparta movies, drew upon the same literary sources as early swashbuckler movies featuring pirates, buccaneers, highwaymen, musketeers, knights, and of course, Robin Hood. This explosion of Italian adventure movies in turn influenced US and UK film studios to fund their own mid-budget adventure films, and Hammer Studios was one of these. Some of their swashbuckler movies included The Scarlet Blade from 1963, Pirates of Blood River from 1962, both of which were included in Indicator's Hammer Volume 5 Death and Deceit box set, which you guys might have. Um, so all up, Hammer made four Robin Hood adaptations, Men of Sherwood Forest from 1954, The Sword of Sherwood Forest from 1960, which we get in this box set, A Challenge for Robin Hood from 1967, also in this box set, and lastly, Wolf's Head from 1973. I've actually been wondering for a while if Indicator would include any of the Hammer Robin Hood movies in these Hammer box sets that I've been doing. I would have loved to have seen all four presented together, but who knows? Maybe we will get a part two in the future. Uh, you guys, Robin Hood fans, maybe as children, um, what was your first exposure to the Robin Hood story? Um, my my first exposure to Robin Hood was. Um, was the classic 1938 Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland film, The Adventures of Robin Hood. I watched that on television when I was very young, I think seven or seven when I was seven years old, and I remember enjoying it so much. I thought it was so much fun. And then I watched um and then I watched um Disney's 1973 Robin Hood with um with the with the animals as the as the characters. And of course, um, I'll always remember Peter Ustinov as Prince John, one of the most, probably one of the most memorable Disney villains. Mm. Quite, quite funny as well. But yeah, they're the only, that, that's my, they're my earliest recollections of Robin Hood. Like, I just enjoyed the character and the adventure so much, especially, mm. in, especially in the 1938 film. Yeah, I was the same. I liked um, the car. I started off with the Disney one, and then I went straight into Mel Brooks's Men in Tights. Which is just fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think after that, uh, yeah, it would just been like the yeah, the Disney one and Mel Brooks's Men in Tights, 
and then probably the first segment of um, Shrek. <laughs> yeah, it actually is. Yeah. Uh, similar for me, yeah. The the Errol Flynn one I remember seeing when I was younger on TV, and it kind of introduced me to the character. And then, um, and and then yes, yeah, the Disney sort of animated one um, comes to mind. And when I was younger, and then uh, obviously yes, Robin Hood Men in Tights was another big one for me. Uh, so yeah, I've had, had some exposure, but yeah, definitely the, those were sort of the first introductions on on film for Robin Hood in that regard. Yeah, I adore the 1973 animated one as well, the Foxy Robin and Marion and Tony, like you said, King John, the Cowardly Lion and Sir Hiss. <laughs> Sir yeah. Hiss. Yeah, I love Sir Hiss. Yeah, it's just... It's gorgeous, and it was about my favourite film when I was a child. I watched it over and over, and I still think it's totally gorgeous. I think that was probably an entry point for lots of people to the Robin Hood story as children. And it, for me, it's one of my favourite Disney films. Um, but I've had a lifelong love for all things Robin Hood, and as a child I also read every book and watched every movie I could get my hands on. I think it really started for me with all those traditional storybooks because I was definitely brought up with these traditional British stories in a time when children's books still had that lingering 19th century influence of these big historical adventures. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that was a love that was passed down through my family as well. Yeah. So have you seen many swashbuckler films? Do you like the, the swashbuckler genre? Um, I do. I actually quite I've I always find them highly entertaining and and fun. I've always I've I do like the swashbuckling films. Like I've seen many other editions of Robin Hood as well. Like um there's just so many to count. Um there was a nineteen ninety two version, I believe, with Patrick Bergen, I believe, mm. who, who, who played Robin Hood. I saw that on VHS back in the day. Mm. And then, of course, probably the, the two modern ones that are, that are probably um, well-known, um, of course, um, Kevin Costner's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That one we can't, can't forget, yep. especially, especially with Alan Rickman. He was the highlight of, the, of that entire film. And, of course, we had an American Robin Hood. So that's fascinating. Mm. And of course, um, the new, the last, the last Robin Hood, I believe, I could be wrong, was um Ridley Scott's interpretation of it in 2010 with Russell Crowe. Mm. That was so, high, that's highly underrated. I quite enjoyed that one. I liked um, it. Yeah. yeah. There was I'll, the one with um um Jamie Fox and the Ed Edgerton kid that came out a few years. Oh, oh yes, there was. See, yeah, oh, th that one I didn't see. So um, yeah. yeah, you're right about that one there. That one I haven't seen. Mm. Me either. But. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to talk a bit about swashbuckler films in general, so not just Robin Hood, but the big yeah. umbrella. So it's like the swashbuckler is a subgenre of yeah. action and adventure genres. And I know we talked recently about epic films on another podcast we did together, mm -hmm. the uh, imprint cast, when we discussed biblical and peplum films. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Robin Hood can fall under this umbrella of the epic film 
or the peplum cycle, which also includes adventure and swashbuckler movies. These kind of epic and adventure films come to us from the epic tradition of literature, ballads and sagas that are rooted in the oral tradition of storytelling. And this includes stuff like the classical Homeric epics from ancient Greece, the Norse sagas and Arthurian and Robin Hood legends. So the subjects are typically a combination of heroism and myth, being rooted in myth more so than actual historical events. And they span the period from the classical heroic age to the age of chivalry or the Middle Ages. And the book, which I often refer to, Epic Film, Myth and History by Derek Ellie states, the purpose of epic literature is to present national or religious identity in times of challenge. And this can certainly be true for Robin Hood, a story that's been told time and time again throughout history and often used politically to convey changing ideas and ideals. But I'll get into that more later in the episode. Above all, Robin Hood movies are adventure films, specifically swashbucklers. The swashbuckler was a new kind of hero performing in these optimistic, mood-elevating escapist spectacles, which though are based in traditional ballads, the film tradition is rooted firmly in the 18th and 19th century tradition of romanticism and largely the medieval revival and revival of romanticised chivalry found in Walter Scott's historical novels from the 19th century, which is where our modern vision of the late medieval period, so those stone castles and knights and jousting and shining armour and the ladies in their medieval dresses, it's where that all comes from. And swashbucklers are largely adventures devoted to king and country. They're characterised by style and spectacle over historical detail. They have archetypal characters and ideals of romanticism and chivalry. And these aspects are what really set them apart from, say, historical drama um, and other genres. Epic and swashbuckler films have had cycles of popularity since cinema began. So question to all of you when you think of Robin Hood what comes to mind and do you think the Robin Hood story is a true story hmm. I, I I don't know if it because I've I was always told as a kid that it, once again I should really look in, looked in this that it was a true story like oh it's a true story in a Robin Hoodie you know stole from the rich and gave to the poor it's kind of like a just an urban legend and but but to a point where you know, I, I was told that it was true. So that's just me personally. <laughs> yeah, so Robin Hood is one of the best known English folk tales, though the exact origins of the story are unknown. Robin Hood is thought to be this amalgamation of several real life characters and events. And historians have many different theories about the true origins of the story, but if I went into all of those, we'd be here all night and all day, so I'm not going to do that, don't worry. Um, but few legends vary quite so much in their retelling 
with so many different versions in existence and few stories have been adapted so many times, both in literature and film. And we all have a vision in our head of who Robin Hood is, the uh, heroic outlaw of Sherwood Forest, who with his band of merry men robs the rich to give to the poor, all while battling his nemesis, the Sheriff of Nottingham, supporting his true King Richard while defying the usurper King John, and of course, courting the love of the beautiful Maid Marian. That's the version of the story probably most familiar to us in the 21st century, but the original story was quite different. Robin Hood's origins lie in the ballads of the late medieval period, with the first clear reference that survives today being the poem Pierre's Plowman, attributed to William Langlard in the 1370s. But even by this first known written reference, the story had already been in circulation for a long time, likely in excess of a hundred years or more existing in oral storytelling tradition, as stories and songs being told by travelling minstrels and for entertainment. But of course, with the oral tradition of storytelling, details are bound to change. Things are embellished or adapted for the audience um, to whom it's told. So it changed and morphed over the years. And some of the first accounts of the Robin Hood tale are actually quite violent and bloody with beheading and um, the killing of small children. So far removed from the romantic hero that we know today. Robin Hood plays were also a well-loved part of May Day festivities. May Day, of course, marked the beginning of summer with its origins in the pagan rites of Beltane and the Roman celebration of Floralea, the festival of the goddess Flora. And the character of Robin Hood took on this mythological status through his association with May Day celebrations where Robin Hood was sometimes played by a young man who was appointed the King of May. He would lead the townsfolk on a procession to a nearby town to collect money for the church, leading some historians to theorise that the funds were possibly redistributed as alms to the poor, hence Robin the Rich to give to the poor. Robin Hood plays were said to be these lively, exciting spectacles with mock battles, archery, staff and sword fighting. So I can't help but visualise Douglas Fairbanks and Errol Flynn in the early 20th century film adaptations when I think of these Robin Hood plays of the medieval period. But here's a question for you. Why do you think the Robin Hood story has endured for so long? Um, maybe it's just something like people look up to, like the working class and the like lower class, just someone to look up to that actually like stole from the rich, I feel. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it, like I said, it's a bit of a, one of those tales that, yeah, I think you're right, Kendall. It's just something that's kind of, like morally a good story and something that people yeah, can look up to and see him as a bit of a hero. Um, so yeah, it, it has a good 
moral to it, I guess. Kind of like that Ned Kelly sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, <laughs> that outlaw that yeah. um, wasn't... You know, Standing up to authority and all that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. We all want to stand up to authority at some point. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think, Tony? Um, yeah, I do agree with both of you on that one, especially it, it's, he's also a character that gives hope to the, le- to the less unfortunate, that there is someone out there who wants to, um, mm. to help them out and, at his own risk. And, and yeah, that's, that's how I see it. Like it, 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 it brings out, he, this is a character who brings out hope to many people. That's how I see it. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, one of the aspects at the heart of it. Um, And one of the other aspects of the Robin Hood legend that has made it so enduring is its ability to be adapted and reimagined to reflect contemporary concerns or ideas throughout history. So we know Robin Hood is a British hero and he is a figurehead that's been often used to convey different meanings and messages. By the early medieval period, when the stories of Robin Hood began to circulate, Britain had endured centuries of conquest and upheaval, the Roman occupation, followed by Saxon invaders, then the Vikings, and 1066 marked the Norman invasion, which saw William the Conqueror take the English throne, ending the rule of the Saxon kings. Land was confiscated from the English lords to be redistributed among Norman nobles. This led to rebellion, uprising and hardship. Medieval England was a feudal society. It had a a rigid social structure being ruled by kings, lords and the church. In the 12th century, there was civil war, which lasted almost 20 years as different claimants vied for the throne. This led to a breakdown of authority and widespread lawlessness. Outlaws thrived and punishment was brutal and mostly unjust. Add to this the oppression of the lower classes and the Black Plague to top it all off. Additionally, common people really resented a law known as the forest law. This basically set aside large tracts of forest as the king's personal property for his hunting and pleasure. This meant that no one was allowed to hunt, farm, or cut down a tree in the forest. And this basically robbed people of their means to feed and shelter themselves. And the punishment for defying these laws was extreme and swift, from the severing of hands to eye gouging and even death in the case of hunting. And during the reign of King John, he actually expanded these laws, setting aside even more land for his own personal use, which angered people even more. And the nobles were also angry with King John because he ruled with the principle of force and will. This basically dictated that the king ruled above the law, that there was nothing higher than him. And this led to the Magna Carta document, which laid out a framework for the king to reign within the law and restore English rights and freedom. And you might remember this historical climate and this event 
was the basis for Ridley Scott's 2010 Robin Hood film starring Russell Crowe, which you mentioned, Tony. So you guys have seen that. Yeah. 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 And you can definitely begin to see how this was a really fertile climate for the legend of Robin Hood to spring forth. The people were really in need of a hero, and I think that's kind of what Ridley Scott was getting at with his version, getting into the history of it all. Mm. Um, but the Robin Hood that we know today was really beginning to be shaped in the 15th and 16th century as over time many of the supporting characters that we're familiar with like Friar Tuck and Maid Marian were added to the story. And in 1510 Henry VIII and 12 of his men disguised themselves by dressing up as Robin Hood and his merry men and burst into his first wife, Queen Catherine's chambers like a band of outlaws and demanded that the ladies dance with them. The ladies of the court, of course, feigned shock and then great amusement when the king revealed his true identity and apparently much merriment and dancing followed. And Henry VIII adored dressing up and this was not his only reenactment of Robin Hood. It's important to note as well, by this time Robin Hood is now a work of historical fiction or legend, just like we consider it today. But it's no folly that the king associated himself with Robin Hood, often donning Robin Hood's signature Lincoln green attire. In Henry VIII's case, it might have been that being only the second Tudor monarch, his relatively new royal house sought to cement its legitimacy and stability in England through association with this legendary English figure. The Tudor court also sought to revive and co-opt medieval ideas of courtly love, romance and chivalry. So basically codes of conduct based upon love, honour and virtue. And Robin Hood came to embody many of these ideals that we still recognise in his story today. We begin to see Robin Hood associated with the reign of King Richard and King John in the 17th century and then in 1795 Joseph Ritson published a highly influential collection of traditional Robin Hood ballads but Ritson was also a supporter of the French Revolution and sought to tie in Robin Hood as a revolutionary figurehead of the common people. Moving forward to the 19th century Robin Hood was still as relevant as ever with a rise in literacy levels, more people were reading than ever before. And there was a desire for these traditional stories. There was also a new medieval revival, which included an interest in tales of chivalry and courtly love once again. The revival of chivalry at this time was also co-opted again, this time for Victorian morality. The Industrial Revolution had also caused a huge cultural shift from rural to industrialised city life. Forests were being cleared for development, so the home of Robin Hood was being cut down and um, there was this longing for nostalgia related to England's pastoral and natural history and stories like Robin Hood offered 
just this, um, as well as a little escapism to people who had flocked to the grey crowded cities as they sought work. Plus at this time there was also a very strong push for social reform in order to raise the living conditions of the poor, which Robin Hood also embodied. And Sir Walter Scott drew inspiration from Ritson's book when writing his account of Robin Hood in Ivanhoe, published in 1819. And this really shaped the modern legend of Robin Hood and the Saxons fighting against their Norman oppressors. The foreword in Ivanhoe also added to people's perception that the tale of Robin Hood was a true story. The 19th century also saw the first adaptations of Robin Hood aimed specifically at children. And these remained popular into the 20th century with all those gorgeous illustrated storybooks and boys and girls annuals, which many children got their first taste of Robin Hood from. So we talked a little bit about some films earlier on. What is your favourite Robin Hood movie or do you have a particularly favourite actor that played Robin Hood? Um, my Gary Lewis, Men in Tights. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen him do like a serious Robin Hood. He is just like the image of Errol Flynn and that swashbuckler hero. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Tony? Uh, my favourite will always be Errol Flynn. He will always be my favourite Robin Hood. Yeah, me too. He is the quintessential, handsome, gallant hero. He's just so beautiful and full of energy. Like, for me, he just is Robin Hood. I totally agree. Mm. Yeah, and that the 1938's Adventures of Robin Hood is definitely up there as one of my favourite Robin Hood movies. Um, it was a TV staple here in the 80s and it really captured my heart and imagination. And apparently my mum, she was saying it did the same for her when she was young. So it's this just most gorgeous film that's just captured the hearts of subsequent generations again and again. Yeah, it is a beautiful one. Mm. Yeah, everything about it, just from the sets, the production, the music, um, and actually the extras on The Adventures of Robin Hood, both on the DVD and some of the Blu-ray editions are absolutely fantastic. So if you want to find out more about Robin Hood and Robin Hood in film, I really recommend those extras, there's some great documentaries on the film and on Robin Hood in general. How about you, John? Yeah, I guess the big one, Errol Flynn's the one that comes to mind because <clears throat> it's just such a classic take and probably one of the best film adaptations. Um, and he just, it just looks the character, like he just looks, you know, what you've pictured for years and, you know, fairy tale books and yeah. uh, various media literature. He just has that look, but um uh, yeah, and like, like I said, Kendall, you know, uh, Men in Tights. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 I was then Kari, um, Kari. Uh, I would say Kari Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, Kari Lewis, yeah. Kari Elways. Elways, yeah. let's say, yeah. Elways, there you go. 
I mean, he does a good Robin Hood, but um, it's funny because it is a swashbuckler film is uh, Princess Bride, which he played as well, which, I mean, it's not a Robin Hood film, but for some reason I connect the two because he, he has that look. But um, Definitely, yeah. Yeah, but it is in the swashbuckler. So, yeah, he, he definitely also has that Robin Hood look to him as well. But mm. I, I also really love Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. I openly admit that. I adore it. Yep. Um, the one from 1992. Mm-hmm. It might have been partly my teenage hormones and the fact that I was totally in love with Christian Slater, <laughs> but I still really love this film. And for me, it's one of the last big Hollywood films that's truly in that classic swashbuckler genre, which I've talked about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because um, the, the the really the 2010 one, I mean, it, it had a different because it's been a while since I've seen it, but I recall it not. It had a different sort of look to it in terms just visually, like it was quite a darker film compared to it, didn't have that sort of classic sort of look to it. That one really falls more into the period drama category, I think. I mean, yeah. it's got that sense of realism and it it draws in that kind of true history aspect of it and builds it around that rather than the swashbuckler genre it has maybe elements of the swashbuckler but it's it gets more into the realism i feel and i i love that too i think it's great it's just a different film it's a different adaptation and like i was saying this story can be adapted in so many different ways and it has and it works I'll also give an honourable mention to the film that um, I think, Tony, you mentioned as well, the other one that came out in the 90s, the 1991 UK production with Patrick Bergen and Uma Thurman. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a really lovely adaptation and it got overshadowed by Prince of Thieves because that was the big blockbuster. Mm. But, yeah, I like that film. It's, It's got elements of swashbuckler. Definitely. And um, Patrick Bergen is this very charismatic, um, you know, charming Robin Hood. Uh, but it's, yeah, I guess it's got that more Britishness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit grittier. Oh, yeah, of. it is. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's just so many great diverse adaptations of the Robin Hood legend. You can just watch more and more, you know. Um, so I've mentioned the 19th century before, but by the 20th century, we do see uh, Robin Hood taking the leap from the pages of storybooks to the screen. In the earliest days of silent film, there are actually f- about five adaptations made for the screen, with the first being Robin Hood and His Merry Men from 1908, so going back that far. Unfortunately, most of these early Robin Hood films have now been lost, but the um, iconic film presentation of Robin Hood from this era that we're probably most familiar with is 1922's Robin Hood, starring swashbuckler icon Douglas Fairbanks. This lavish production with Fairbanks performing his own stunts was at the time the most expensive film ever made, with some of the biggest sets ever constructed. 
And the advent of talkies did mark a lull in the swashbuckler cinema um, as audiences favoured more like violent gangster films and musicals and kind of there was some sexy comedies around. But this lull didn't last particularly long because the enforcement of the Hayes Code, which is the censorship code, saw studios turning back to these more safe, clean productions, including literary adaptations. And it's, of course, from this time that came the masterpiece that we all love, 1938's The Adventure of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. And while Fairbanks' silent Robin Hood is kind of visually inspired by the romantic Gothic tradition of the 19th century or Sir Walter Scott and the pre-Raphaelite painters, the 1938 talkie really leapt from those traditional ballads and the age-old tradition of those May Day plays. It was, yeah, very storybook and very animated and that hopeful, optimistic and romantic escapism of these movies really appealed to audiences of the time. And again, Robin Hood became a much needed hero. In this case, a diversion from the difficulties of the post-World War I era, the Great Depression and the rise of fascism. Then by the 1950s, television starting to enter households and with that, a new television series, The Adventures of Robin Hood, starring Richard Green, who we mentioned earlier in the episode um, because he reprises this role for Hammer. Now, in the 50s, Robin Hood could be a symbolic defender of democracy. He could be an opponent to excessive government control or the tyranny and threat of communism. So he took on you know, this new role once again. And then in the 80s, when Robin Hood graced British TV screens with the much-loved TV adaptation Robin of Sherwood starring hunky Michael Praed, people might have been again in need of a hero as they questioned how far should capitalism go? Many people felt that the needs of the poor and disadvantaged had been largely neglected in Britain and the idea of Robin Hood really spoke to this very legitimate concern. And this is a question that many people still ask themselves today as we do face some uncertainty, like environmental destruction, war, raised costs of living and people struggling to get by. Don't you agree? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, more relevant now than ever, actually, some of these. <laughs> and I know you feel like that, but all these other generations of people have felt the same. So if you're feeling, you know, maybe these feelings, this is, people have felt like this for hundreds, thousands of years, and, you know, more so because things were more difficult in the past. Absolutely. Have you seen any of the films in the box set? Anyone? No, I haven't. I haven't seen those two. No. I, love to. I haven't seen either. No. Uh, me either. Mm. 
it's sort kind of, of funny. Like the amount of times I've like looked up Hammer films, I've never like seen anything Robin Hood related. This is the first introduction. Yeah. They're well, quite neglected. Some of the Hammer genre, other genre films are quite neglected, which I think this is why I'm talking so much. You might be thinking, oh, what's she going on about? But, you know, there's other films, so we're going to talk about The Swimmer later. And people acknowledge, yep, yeah, that's a cult film. It's a masterpiece. We love these 70s films and dramas, but who's talking about swashbucklers? We are. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we super under under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. So we're giving it. you know lots of airtime to this neglected kind of genre and these neglected films. So um, sort of Sherwood Forest from 1960. I do remember this did used to play on television here in Australia, probably largely because it was linked to the TV show. Um, which was very popular. And I did read, I don't know if this is true, I read somewhere that this was Hammer's first colour production. Maybe someone can jump in yeah. online and confirm this or say, no, you've got it all wrong if you're like a Hammer aficionado. But I did read that somewhere. I can't confirm it. It's, of course, directed by Terence Fisher, who we know directed so many other films Hammer that we all know and love, all those brilliant, brilliant horror films like The Curse of Frankenstein, 1957, Horror of Dracula, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Gorgon, I could go on and on. Yeah. But he, yeah. Yeah, he, he's a hard hitter for the Hammer horror. But he also directed 11 episodes of The Adventures of Robin Hood TV show. So when Hammer was mounting this film, I guess banking on the success of the TV series and its star Richard Green reprising the Lincoln Green as Robin Hood, it was probably only natural to get Terence Fisher on board because he'd already worked on that. And this production is really watchable. Um, it's really fun, especially due to its fantastic cast and great character actors, which include, of course, we've mentioned Peter Cushing as the evil sheriff of Nottingham, and he is so good when he plays evil characters. What better sheriff of Nottingham could you ask for, maybe, apart from Alan Rickman, <laughs> who was <laughs> sensational, you mentioned. Richard Pascoe also featured in both the TV series and movie as varying characters. Likewise, Nigel Green, who plays Little John in the movie, as well as several other actors who had played bit parts in the TV series. It also, as we mentioned, features Oliver Reed in a small part, although he's dubbed. And I don't remember this dubbing, but it's meant to sound really weird. It's someone dubbing his voice to sound like Oliver Reed. I don't know why they didn't use his real voice, but look out for it. Um, Maid Marian is played by Sarah Branch, and with that name, she definitely sounds like she belongs in Sherwood Forest. I'm sorry, Sarah Branch, <laughs> but I just had to highlight that. It was shot in County Wicklow Island, so it features natural forests, some lovely scenery and settings. 
Um, it's just what you'd expect from this kind of movie, a lively adventure. It's got action, romance, it's colourful. There's a flogging. It um, also allegedly opened with a murder sequence, which was cut and has now been lost. Oh. So I don't know much about that, but I, I read that. Richard Green brings a maturity and wisdom to the role of Robin Hood rather than that impetuous boyishness of, say, Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. He's this more kind of, you know, he has this wisdom and thinks about things. Um, and he's lovely. People loved him from the TV series. Um, the Adventures of Robin Hood TV series, int interestingly, often revolved around the real historical details featuring episodes about unjust taxes, the monopolies of the aristocracy and the feudal class system of the time. And on TV, Richard Green's Robin Hood became a champion of the serfs against the class system. So on TV, he was really for the underdog. Um, but the Hammer cycle of Robin Hood movies, including this one, returned Robin to the more traditional role of defending king and country, which is what he is traditionally known for. The other film we have in the box is uh, A Challenge for Robin Hood from 1967. So I think The Sword of Sherwood Forest is it's the standout film in this box mm. because of its link to the TV series and the series' popularity. You know, and it, I don't know. I'll just say it's the, it's the better production, but they're, they're both good. So Challenge for Robin Hood from 1967 is directed by C.M. Pennington Richards, who had directed a lot of TV including episodes of the adventure series Ivanhoe, which ran from 1958 to 59, uh, in which, of course, the character of Robin Hood also featured. He also directed episodes of the 50s TV show The Buccaneers, so he knew his swashbuckler genre. Barry Ingram plays Robin Hood, and Doctor Who fans might know him from his appearances there. Maid Marian is played by Gay Hamilton, who makes a very, very lovely Maid Marian. She's just gorgeous. And she's no stranger to the swashbuckler and period drama genres either, having featured in several, several TV series like Kidnapped, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Barry Lydon and The Duelists. Um, 1967 was quite late in the game for this Robin Hood film as that adventure and Italian peplum film cycle was drawing to an end by the time 1970 came around. In this adaptation, Hammer decided to create a new version of how Robin Hood became an outlaw. So they really turned the traditional tale on its head, with Robin Hood being a Norman and Maid Marian incognito, incognito dressed as a serving maid. So they really changed it up and tried to write something different and original, I guess, which it's interesting because they've, you know, adapted and given us this new story and outlook. It was filmed in East Sussex and 
uh, Bodum Castle, which was built in 1385 and possibly witness to many a Robin Hood ballad in its heyday. I can imagine the stories being told in its great halls or by the fire. And we can expect from this film, of course, the Lincoln Green and the swords, apparently, because I have not seen this film for a really, really long time, so I don't remember much about it. But apparently there is a lusty pie throwing battle and also a debauched banquet hall with bodybuilder wrestlers. And if you didn't have me at that, I don't know where you had me, but anyway. <laughs> are you looking forward to these films? 100%. 100%. I certainly am. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I am now. I mean, I didn't know too much about them, but just the the cast and, you know, of, of both films and um, and the history behind them, I'm, I'm very keen now. Check them out. And, and if also, you want to, oh, go on. Yeah, I was just saying, it's, um, it's Hammer. Of course, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> I was about to say that too. Anything Hammer, I'm cool with. <laughs> well, well, they've all been great discoveries. These, you know, that as we covered that second box set, which was crime films, which just amazed me that Hammer made really good crime films and we didn't even know about them. So um, I'm guessing that really any genre they touch is is, is generally good. So mm. um, like, especially that, like I said earlier, um, Suzanne, that that Pirates box they did, mm. which um i loved every single one of those films and like i said i had not seen or heard of any of them until i until i got that set and um and just show that hammer you know could could craft all types of genres and and unfortunately they are bottleneck to horror but they they did so much more in in their in their day so yeah very very excited for these two films but the swashbuckler just seems so appropriate for hammer because it's colorful it has all the melodrama it has you know, lusty ladies and wenches and heroes and costumes and, um, you know, settings in historical places. So, yeah, they could just use. And I just thought that, yeah, because, I mean, all their horror films are essentially, you know, period pieces, most of them, and they could just, you know, they've got all the costumes and sets, so it, it, it makes complete sense. Mm, definitely. And if you want, if you want, in sort of uh, Sherwood Forest, if you look very closely, you may see a car in the background. <laughs> if you okay. watch very closely. So I haven't seen it, but there is allegedly a car going past in the background. And it is not the only Robin Hood film with a car in the background. Allegedly. The Adventures of Robin Hood from 1938 also has a car in the background. And if you go onto the internet, um, I mean, obviously the car's there just very briefly, but if you go onto the internet, you can look up a list of the Robin Hood films that have cars in them uh, or like similar continuity errors, and there's a lot of them. So, Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe Barry Ingram got in his you know, phone booth and mm. did some, like, crazy time travelling because there are Robin Hood episodes in Doctor Who, so there you go. Mm. Yeah, so Robin Hood has endured not just for the legend's political malleability, 
but also because of the key universal themes that we can all understand and we've talked a bit about these. So we can understand them no matter what our culture or upbringing and we understand these just as well today as people did in medieval times. These include good versus evil, right versus wrong, the oppressed standing up against an oppressor, and then there's the concept of justice, which is really important to people. People feel really strongly about that sense of justice, as well as helping others, friendship, comradeship, and of course, love. And like we said, the swashbuckler genre has been somewhat ignored, especially in the modern age. I think it's a subgenre that is out of fashion, even though we see movies with elements of this genre and the epic film genre now and then. There's also the misconception that they're old man films or maybe there might have been some more snooze emojis shared. I hope not, but... Maybe. The swashbuckler has often been critically ignored or panned as well, maybe accused of being overblown and melodramatic or lacking depth or substance and realism. But understanding what the swashbuckler genre is with all of the elements that I've mentioned makes us realise it's meant to be this way. It is meant to be stylized. It is crafted for entertainment value, yet sometimes with a political idea. So these criticisms that are sometimes made, in my opinion, are unjust. They don't give the genre the credit it's due. And today things are so fast paced. We're bombarded with stimulation constantly. We have such an abundance of entertainment now on call 24-7. But you have to think about times prior to our modern age. If you remember a slower pace of life in the 80s or even the 50s, if you're of, of that vintage, imagine being a medieval peasant or even someone a little higher in the social rank. The nights would have been long, cold, dark, there was no internet, no movies, no phones. It was just quiet and still, and you probably couldn't read or spell your name. So what do you do to, to while away your evenings? You tell stories. And these stories had to be lively. They had to evoke reactions and emotions on this kind of immediate um, level. And they also had to be easy to remember because you can't write them down and you can't read remember. And they have to be defined heroes and really, really evil villains, lots of drama, epic battles and beautiful romance. Because honestly, you probably would not be up for social realism in between ploughing the fields and shoveling dung. So you really needed some excitement and escapism um, and this tradition of storytelling has continued into our modern age through these films, which though at times have been critically panned or ignored, have actually proved to be popular time and time again with audiences. Um, and I feel that the swashbuckler genre has been particularly undervalued 
especially in terms of the fact that it is this modern continuation of European folkloric tradition. And that's really important and significant because it's endured and it's still enduring into the modern age. So I was really, really excited to see Indicator announce this Robin Hood set, not just because they're part of the Hammer historical canon, um, those films we don't usually identify with Hammer, but because they're actually making this gorgeous box set based around these two exciting, lovely swashbucklers, and I hope we see more. Absolutely. I do too, and I just, um, I went looking for the cars, I'm not going to lie. So apparently, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a clip on YouTube um, of, for, uh, what do you call it? Um, the Challenge of Robin Hood, and it's during like a festival scene. It you can like just see it if you actually concentrate. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's that one. I got the wrong movie, or maybe it's in both. I don't know. But maybe oh, yeah, it's it's saying there. Yeah, spot the car driving past. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, in the Adventures of Robin Hood, apparently. Uh, was it uh, when Will Scarlet finds the engine much in Sherwood Forest about three quarters of the way through the movie, a white vehicle can be seen traveling from right to left in the background. It's apparently at one hour, 27 minutes and 40 seconds. Thank you for looking that up. No, it's all good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to slur the makers of um, Sword of Sherwood, but um, yeah, I knew it was one of the films. So yeah, it's look out for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Challenge of Robin Hood car driving past. It's literally just like a clip <laughs> straight for it. <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have demystified and ruined the film. I just thought it was. No, no, no. It's great. Oh, I watched so many films and there's like so many like camera equipment in it. Like I watched like Drugstore Cowboy the other week or something and like the first shot, the first scene, you literally see the whole camera crew just like in the reflection of the mirror hilarious <laughs> i never i never noticed that stuff i don't know why my my imagination just must be floating along oh, it's, it's good it's kind of good fun to like notice it because then you're just like oh even the greats fuck up it's all good i can fuck up too <laughs> <laughs> amazing no really cool set and yeah like i said i think it's good that it's it's a genre, yeah. I think you know. Hopefully, there there might be a revival one day of the genre, like because we had, like I said, it does come in waves. Like we even had sort of that, uh, you know, that late '90s, early 2000s, you know, with you know the Musketeer, the Mask of Zorro, all that sort of stuff, kind of kicked mm. it off. And, mm. um, and then it kind of died off, and and we do get the odd one here and there. Um, I mean, even like I don't know, would you say Pirates of the Caribbean falls in that sort of genre or? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Level. Mm. If they yeah. come and do another film, might revive the genre a bit in terms of the, the pirate side. But uh, no, it's it, it's a beautiful set, and I guess it's good because it's going to get get into the hands of more more collectors. I guess that um probably wouldn't have even seeked out these films to begin with, but obviously, like I said, with the Hammer connection, there there will be interest, and in, hopefully, we'll get more people into the genre and discover other. Yeah, you know, great Robin Hood um, films, or even yeah, you know, within the genre. 
So. And the box set has that beautiful artwork from the Sword of Sherwood Forest movie poster. It's very yeah, it's colourful. Cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very storybook. It's just lovely. Mm. Yeah, it's, and it's a it's a two, so there'll probably be two separate cases. I haven't seen the inside artwork, but they'll probably just use poster art. But, yeah, just, just a beautiful-looking set. I love it. Looks incredible. And so many extras, and, and like I said, there's be a lot of context on here, interviews, um, and, and I'm particularly interested in that book, which is, you know, it's 80 pages, so it should give it a lot of, have some really nice production stills. And yeah, what. and I think um, hearing Kim Newman talk about Robin Hood on screen, I really can't wait for that. So if you've been interested in what I've had to say about Robin Hood, He's going to be absolutely fantastic talking about that. Yep. Yeah, always. The Kim Newman extras are always a treat. Um, no matter what he's talking about, he it's he's an encyclopedia. That so it's it's pretty amazing the, the stuff that he uh, speaks about. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for that too. So there's a lot of lot of cool stuff here, and it looks like and there's also yeah that um that children's film as well. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah, it's got me very intrigued, uh, film founder. So it sounds like a bit of a spin-off. Um, interesting. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. There's a lot of goodies in here. So very cool. Um, yeah, is there anything else, Tony or Kendall, that sticks out in this box set or any final thoughts? Uh, in the box set for me, um, as you said, the Kim Newman, Every anything, as you said, John, anything Kim Newman talks about or does a commentary for, I'm all in. I love it. I love his um, I love his research and I love his and I love his knowledge. It's it's just unbelievable, encyclopedic, as you said. And also, um, um, what other features? Yeah, yeah. I think Robin Hood Junior. would be the other one that would be good, as as you said. And also the um, the Hammers Women series continues, which is good. Yes. That's great. I'm glad they've got that going on. Yeah. Yeah, most of the Hammer releases, so yeah. Awesome. Uh, Kendall, any final thoughts on, on the set? Um, I was going to say, um, referring back to all the other films and why they're not in the box set, because I remember there was a comment on the group page and Michael Brooks saying that um, the problem with Hammer's Robin Hood films is, they, is that they uh, sold each one of each one to a different rights holder without considering the needs of video labels. Uh, so, yeah, the Indicator team are fully aware of, like, Hammer's Robin Hood output, but they're equally aware of who owns them and how accessible their catalogues are. Mm. Network is the most likely label to be handling the other two, thanks to pre-existing bulk deals with Hammer and ITV. Oh, interesting. Okay. All yeah. Because, right. yeah, yeah, that explains why they couldn't have done a four-disc set. Yeah. Mm. Ah, interesting. I think these these ones, I'm not sure. They might be Columbia titles. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, because they probably are, because Hammer did a lot of Columbia stuff, mm. so... It's, it probably is, yeah, like a Columbia one. So that that's a shame um, because yeah, it would have been nice to have all four of them in, in a box set. But, uh, yeah, at least we're getting these two. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. that looks sick. 
Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, no, thank you for that, Suzanne. That was amazing. Um, so hopefully that's yeah gotten some people excited to check these out in the swashbuckler genre in general and go back and discover some great films of, of the time. So no, thank you for that, Suzanne. That was very cool. Um, cool. Um, all right, well, I guess we'll move on to the next film, which is The Swimmer. Well, I've got to be on my way. I'm swimming home. You're swimming home? I figured out there's a river of pools all the way to my house. Crazy idea. I think it's a brilliant idea. Well, what are you doing it for? Why do you want to do it? I think it's very original. I mean, I think it's an adventure. Come with me. I bet you never knew I had a big crush on you. You did? I was mad about you. Out of my head. Um, Ned, please. Tony, do you want to take that one over? Tell us a bit about it. Sure thing. Um, The Swimmer, directed by Frank Perry, released in 1968. It's a limited edition Blu-ray. It's a UK Blu-ray premiere. One of the few bona fide countercultural films to be produced by a major studio, The Swimmer is a sun scorched and surreal suburban satire that boasts a fine performance from Burt Lancaster from Castle Keep and Buffalo Bill and the Indians. As Ned Merrill, the all American man who one day determines to swim home to his Connecticut mansion via a series of pools in his neighborhood. Directed by Frank Perry, who made a diary of a mad housewife imbues Eleanor Perry's um, from David and Lisa and Ladybug, Ladybug adaptation of John Cheever's short story with stunning expressionistic flourishes, creating a true masterpiece of cinema. This indicator limited edition Blu-ray includes the special features of a high-definition remaster, original mono audio, audio commentary by with Frank Perry biographer Justin Bozung from 2022, the original New Yorker short story read by author John Cheever, original theatrical trailer, Ileana Douglas trailer commentary from 2019, image gallery, which includes promotional and publicity material, new and improved English subtitles with a deaf and hard of hearing, limited edition exclusive book with a new essay by Sophie Monks Kaufman, a profile of writer John Cheever, extracts from interviews with Frank Perry and Eleanor Perry on the making of the film, an overview of contemporary critical responses and film credits. It also includes a limited edition exclusive poster. It's also a UK premiere on Blu-ray, limited edition to f- of 5,000 copies for the UK, but there's more extras to be announced in the future. It's spy number number 46, and it's rated PG, and it's region B. Um, I am ashamed to admit this. I have watched The Swimmer, but never owned a copy. And this one, I can't wait to get. I'm really looking forward to owning my very first copy of The Swimmer. What better version to get than indicators? Uh, I think I had a shitty DVD of it. I think Australia had a DVD of it. Yeah, I believe they did, but I never, I never owned it, which is outrageous. <laughs> but 
But yeah, I can't. But I'm really looking forward to this indicator release. It looks great. Um, John, what do you think? Uh, yes, I'm very excited for this, and I have to admit the same. I do not own a copy of the swimmer. I just realised, which kind of amazes me. Um, I thought I had the Grindhouse one, but I don't. I never picked it up. I was always holding out hope that there would be a Region B release, um, and uh, and because I, I thought surely someone would have to pick it up. And um, amazingly, they revealed to us that when we had that chat with them that they had gotten the swimmer. I guess from memory, Campbell. I'm trying to remember. I think it was a, they did a swap with Ishtar because they lost Ishtar, so they got. I think one. it was. Um, I think it was California Split. Oh, California Split. Mm. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. California so, Split. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, because this is a low spy number. This is 46. So yeah, okay, kind of, kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, look, it, it's an amazing film, and I've seen it a number of. Well, I originally saw it um, years ago on tv and then uh they played it at the um sydney uh, the new south wales art gallery uh on 35 millimeter and i went with some friends and uh they went in not knowing what to expect and they were blown away by it completely amazed they they just thought it was some cheesy i don't know some sort of cheesy 60s movie but they were they realized it was like actually a really dark meaningful film so very excited to have this disc yeah very very keen I'm surprised you don't have it, John. I gotta tell you. Yeah, me too. That shocked me. <laughs> no, I, I searched everywhere and I thought I did, but I I don't. I thought I had the Grindhouse on there. Oh, I, I misplaced it, but I I, I can't remember because I they did a reissue uh, recently. Grindhouse did a reissue, and I was tempted to buy it, but I just thought, no, no, there's gotta be someone in the a Region B release of this has to come. So, yeah, no, I, I don't. So this is perfect timing. I'll have the ultimate edition. Mm. I thought you would have had all the Grindhouse releasing films. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did. Well, well, some of them, funny enough, I'm, I'm slowly selling off because they're being upgraded. They're getting better releases from other labels like Corruption. So, um, yeah, I, I thought I had all of them too, but it looks like I'm missing a few. So, yeah, no great loss because, yeah, it's, uh, they're getting better Region B releases. So, yeah, it's, it's worth the wait. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Suzanne, your thoughts on the swimmer? Yeah, it's a fantastic film. I um rewatched it just because we were doing this. I've got a, a Region Two DVD, an old DVD. It looks quite nice, but I'm really excited about this release. Um, it's just such an interesting movie. It just sounds like such a strange premise for a film, but it's really amazing. It's shot beautifully. It's got this great cast. It's got brilliant acting. It's also remarkably clever. Um, and it's like this dreamlike esoteric journey, which you have to go on with the main character. And what I liked about it, everything in this film is a metaphor or it seems like a metaphor and I guess I think that's really important to keep in mind when watching it um so I was trying to work out some of the metaphors and what it all means and I love a film that you have to think about and 
you can kind of watch again and again and get more from it, which you really can from this. So I kind of came to the conclusion, and I don't know if you agree, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, don't worry, because I think if you haven't seen this, you just really need to dive in, so to speak, um, and not know what's happening. But the swimming pool, which is so important to the plot, seems to represent some kind of American dream and affluence. So having a big house with a big swimming pool and everyone that he encounters along the way seems bent on some kind of hedonistic, materialistic existence. So I think it's in one sense about searching for real meaning in life as well as real emotional connections with people. <clears throat> And you can look at the water as a symbolic entity, so a means of cleansing, not just for the body, but also the mind and the soul. And it's no coincidence that water is part of the essence of life. And like as humans, we're made up of around 60% water. And all of these people that he encounters have these big pools but when you watch it, none of them actually use the pools. So what does that mean? You just ask so many questions. And mm. then, so maybe the pool and water might represent life in general or the soul or like, you know, the health of the soul. And water also traditionally represents wisdom and transformation, which also really tie in well to this particular film um, and Ned also faces all these physical challenges so it's a very physical film he's just wearing swimmers in it mm. and it's about like it's very physical about his body and um, these challenges that he goes through using the body and there's a lot of talk about his body um, which is interesting and it the physical challenges maybe represent life's changes as well as mental challenges in order to reach a full and balanced existence. Um, and what I like as well is the movie's very much about how Ned views himself versus how others view him. And as the story progresses, the supporting characters are like a mirror and most of what we learn about Ned is from their reactions to him. So the story is told in this really interesting way and you get the feeling that something's not quite right and in the end the movie turns out to be really dark with this mm. quite fascinating, ambiguous ending. And when this came out, apparently people didn't know what to think of it which I think is understandable because it's a very esoteric film on face value. Like it's just some guy walking around swimming and talking to people, but it's so much more beneath the surface of the water, so to speak. Uh, and the poor reception might have also been the fact the audiences weren't ready to have such a dark criticism of the American dream laid out before them. When I think of this movie, I can't help but make a comparison to American Beauty from 1999, when audiences were ready to digest another similar uncomfortable portrayal of American suburbia and masculinity. What 
did you think did you pick up on these metaphors and that that darkness of American suburbia in it after what you've said like American Beauty did come to mind I haven't seen The Swimmer for a while but like yeah American Beauty did come to mind with um, the American dream sort of thing having a perfect place Definitely. Yeah, I, I, it's funny, I didn't think of the pool in that regards as a metaphor, so that's kind of blown my mind a bit, <laughs> a little bit around what it does mean. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree, it is a, a darker take on American suburbia. And like I said, when I went in, to, when we saw this film at the gallery, and my, my friend, um, you know, this couple, um, you know, they, they'd never seen this film before, and and she was like, oh, you know, is this like some sort of, it start, starts off very colourful and bright and happy and cheery. And 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 she just thought of some sort of comedy, essentially. Like, oh, is this like some sort of comedy? And, and some, you know, kind of like, you like said, an idea of perfect sort of suburban, what we've come to know in media at the time, you know, 50s and 60s suburbia, like, you know, he's the perfect sort of father figure. And, um, and the more pools he goes around, you start to realise, not spoil it, but he's not, the person he appears to be and he's not as well liked as he thinks he is in his mind mm. and uh, and ultimately uh like i said the ending is is very dark and bleak and, and you realize a lot about his family um that throughout the film you don't realize you think that yeah he's per you know it's a great family man everything's perfect on the surface but uh by the end you realize that it's you know i don't want to spoil it if no one's seen it but you realize it's not what it seems and and i just like how it does get more confronting as, as it progresses and he starts to realize himself that he's not you know not really the the person he's portraying to be but it's it's fascinating i think you're right that american beauty connection i mean this this film is just too far ahead of its time i don't think anyone at the time wanted to uh, yeah didn't did want to see the subject matter or, or just didn't get it or, or didn't really see what's trying to portray and i think you know burt lancaster is just such a great actor and i think um his later work, like I said, I find far more interesting than his earlier sort of, you know, 50s films, like his his later stuff and the European stuff. So perfect character to play it because he just gives so much depth to his character as well. But, yeah, um, that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, it's been a while for me too. And, uh, and yes, the the water is definitely a – the pools are definitely a metaphor. Absolutely. But yeah, I never thought of the American Beauty connection until you mentioned it, Suzanne. It's actually a really good point. And and yeah, with Burt Lancaster, he's probably my favorite actor. Probably with um Spencer Tracy, they're probably from the from the Golden Age. They're probably my two favorite actors. But, but Burt Lancaster's performance in this film was just incredible. Absolutely adore it. It is, and and it's funny because Burt would go on to do a lot of you know european sort of art house films and yeah because this film it's not i mean it's american film but it's shot kind of like a european film from when i like when i saw it on the big screen it kind of had this sort of european look to it in terms of the cinematography like it's very beautifully shot but yeah i think maybe it applied appealed to burke because it was so unusual and i think you know he was just a by the end of it like i said some of the films he was making was just so fascinating like really amazing stuff so he was quite an actor he That's was. the word for this film, fascinating. I yes. find it infinitely fascinating and it is like to get really like yeah, esoteric, it is like 
a ripple in the water. Um, you know, it kind of filters out. It's like he makes a ripple in the water and there's all this stuff below the surface. It's just so many levels that can get your brain working and ticking over. Um, and I love films like that that just keep you thinking about it afterwards and oh, what does that mean and everything from the the weather to the changing of seasons to all this stuff they're all symbols yeah yeah we uh i remember after that screening uh my friends like i said went with um she missed me like a couple of days later and she was still talking about the film she's like i can't she's like, i'm still thinking about that film and i which kind of which kind of made me laugh because i thought it has this impact on you later on um because yeah and, and even after days after seeing it on the big screen it did resonate and i just uh, yeah it, it's one that and that's why like i so said talking about now i haven't seen like you know over a year since that screening but it still sticks with me very clearly and uh yeah it's one that i, th I think like right right suzanne it probably has a lot of rewarding uh replay you know watching the more more you watch it, you probably pick up on things as well so yeah, which is pretty amazing. So yeah, very excited for this. Same here. Finally to own a copy of this classic. The um well there is more to be announced. I'm really looking forward to seeing what more what more is coming out, what more will be announced. But the one I'm looking forward to is the original New Yorker short story read by the author John Cheever. That's what I'm looking forward yeah. to. I, I love audiobooks. I'm obsessed with audiobooks. And um, I love hearing shorts. I love hearing stories read by the actual authors, which is great. So th yeah, that's probably the one feature I'm really looking forward to. But I'm looking forward to seeing what else is going to be announced. Definitely. Uh, Kendall, anything there that sticks out? Um, I'm always interested in reading the book. The... um books that come with these sets they're always fun and in-depth um kind of it's going to be a, another one of those most likely it's a hard box so it will be a probably like a mm. book as normal yeah big old fat one 80 pages yeah and the and the other place i just yeah i think the um artwork's very cool as well it's like yeah, just simple um suzanne is there anything here that before we finish up on this, Tali, last thoughts on, on the panel? Yeah, the, the audio book is a really nice inclusion, but I think this is the kind of film where you are actually really interested and compelled to get into the extras because you just it leaves you wanting to know more. What was that about? You know, yeah. what does that mean? You just want to know more. So I think any kind of um, commentary or essays all that stuff will just be really interesting definitely definitely um i'm just glad to see more frank perry films get releases on blue um tony you know we know your favorite film uh yeah my favorite my favorite frank perry film as well as suzanne's we both <laughs> love this movie in particular um 1981's mummy dearest even though it's considered one of the worst films ever made no, it's a, no. it's a classic. It's a it's 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 a cult camp classic. You can't go wrong with it. One of the best. Absolutely. Yeah. I adore it. Yep. 
uh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but look, I mean, all of the films that I'm just going through here, they're, they're getting releases like Men in a Swing. That just came out through um, Imprint mm-hmm. uh, here. Uh, Rancho Deluxe, that came out through Fun City. Um, so A Diary of a Mad Housewife, that's coming out from Indicator, I think, next month. So, yeah, they are getting releases, which is good because, um, yeah, I think he's a pr- pretty underrated director. Like his films are... Yeah, they're very unique. So yeah, it's good to see them get more releases. This is very good. Great to see. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. Well, that is the swimmer. Um, I guess I'll pass it over to you, Ryan, if you want to tell us a little bit about and Madigan. Henry are on a deadly manhunt in Madigan. Their hunting ground is New York City. Their game is a vicious killer. He's headed for 99th Street. I am a cop. No, you're the police commissioner. Yes. All right, sick. Manigan. Uh, directed by Don Siegel in 1968. Uh, has stars Richard Widmark, Henry Fonda, and Inga Stevens. Uh, release date is 22nd of August and limited edition Blu ray, and it's a UK premiere. All right, Madigan teams Hollywood legends, legends Richard Widmark uh, from Pick Up on South Street, Two Road Together, and Henry Fonda. Young Mr. Lincoln Midway in a brutal tale of crime set in Spanish Harlem. As Commissioner Russell tries to keep his precinct in order, Detectives Manigan, with, played by Widmark, and Bonaro, or Bonro, Bonaro, Bonaro, uh, played by Harry Gardinia, Gar, Gard, Gardino, Gardino, struggle, I did struggle, to balance their personal and professional commitments when they are given just 72 hours to apprehend the spree killer uh, who has stolen their weapons. Directed by Don Don Siegel, uh, uh, who did Charlie Varick and the lineup, immediately prior to his acclaimed collaborations with Clint Eastwood, Manigan is typical of the director's tough, no-nonsense style bridging the gap between classic film noir and the gritty police procedurals of the 70s. Also boasting a script co-written by once blacklisted writer Abraham Abraham Polonsky, 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 uh, who did Body and Soul, Force of Evil, Manigan's success led to its being turned into a television series. Um... The limited edition special features are a high-def remaster, original mono audio, audio commentary with writers and film experts uh, Barry Forshaw and Kim Newman, 2022, Richard Widmark on Manigan, 1983, extract from the French television program Cinema Cinemas, Super 8 version, cut-down home cinema presentation, theatrical trailer, uh, image gallery, on-set and promotional photography, new and improved English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing, limited edition exclusive 32-page booklet with the new essay by Eleanor Lazik, an archival interview with Don Siegel and 
extract from a Siegel film, an overview of contemporary critical responses and film credits. Uh, got the UK premiere and Blu-ray limited to 3,000 copies. Uh, it's Region B, Cert 12, and it's numbered 239. Yeah, I was just going to say, what do you guys think, Tony? Uh, Don Siegel. It's one of those films I have not seen, believe it or not, and um, has a great cast, especially with Richard Widmark and Henry Fonda. And, um, well, yeah, if it's directed by Don Siegel, no doubt it will be action-packed and hard-hitting. But I'm mm. really, looking, really looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Sick. What about uh, you, John? Yeah, I'm... I like Don Siegel films, but this is one I haven't seen. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for it. I like his, his films are very hard hitting. Um, even in that noir box set, the lineup, which was um, mm. you know, a fifties film, it was pretty brutal for a fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had that Don Siegel feel to it. Like I was probably my favorite out of the set because it was just so violent and edgy and, uh, and action packed. It was really, really fun. So yeah. Um, this sounds really interesting, so I'm I'm very excited for this being a, a Seagull fan. But yeah, just one that slipped on the radar. So yeah, very keen. And what about you, Suzanne? Are you a Don Single fan? Yeah, well, I mean, I love um, the hard hitting cop stuff. I love stuff set in New York, which this is. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. But honestly, I trust Indicator and. I pretty much know anything they release is going to be good or interesting um, because they just curate their collection so well. So Mm. I can know nothing about something and just know it's going to be a very interesting film or something quite great. Um, But, yeah, it looks interesting, especially, John, if you say it's probably going to be quite hard-hitting. I love that. It's got a spree killer. Sounds exciting. Yeah. I know. Definitely. No, it looks, uh, yeah, it looks, looks like something that, like I said, it's, you know, it's pretty dirty Harry, but I think it's, um, it's, it's in the same vein by the sounds of it. From yeah. Hearing. I was going to say with the spree killer kind of thing. Well, that sells me. I just, yeah, I love dirty Harry. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, Escape from Alcatraz, yeah, like fantastic. Oh, that's a good film, yeah. And the other one in the collection is Charlie Barrick, which is a bloody great 70s film. Oh, yeah, Charlie Barrick, that's a great film, so good, yeah, amazing film. Um, yeah, no, it looks, looks great. Um, looks like I've got a few. Extras once again it looks like there's Kim Newman's back on again for a commentary. Mm. It's great. Two for yeah, good old Kim. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, it looks looks very cool and looks like a bit of poster art. So yes, very intrigued. Yeah, I wonder if a woman comes between them in the film, just like yeah. the poster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's one I'm. Um, yeah, definitely looking forward to. So, cool, cool. Awesome. Um, well, uh, I guess we haven't seen it, so, yeah, I guess we can move on. But I think, uh, yeah, it's one that's 
it's going to wrap up the month nicely. Um, awesome. Well, I guess that's it for the month. Um, I've got the newsletter. Yes, thank you, Ryan. I was about to say, if you got the newsletter, uh, was there a teaser in that one? or? Yeah, so the teaser is a film called Remember the Night from 1940. Um, it stars Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray. Yep. Uh, it's directed by Mitchell Lyson and written by Preston Sturgis. Uh, what is it? What is it? Yeah, 1940. So love, blo- love blooms between a sympathetic attorney and the comely shoplifter he has taken home for the Christmas holiday. Ooh. That looks interesting. Um, I feel like this might be just like a single release on its own. Mm, sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. That, that someone pick up the, the 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 clue. I'm guessing. The yeah. End. Yeah. The clue of um the coffee being poured into the cup. They're, they're very good. They get on it quick. No, oh, they do, don't they? <laughs> Just little tiny things amazes me. <laughs> I know, right? Um. Uh. Do you want me to read the low stock updates and all that? Yes. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Ryan, if you uh, cool. Um, so there's there is the six new standard editions, which are Psych 59, Ship of Fools, uh, Cisco Pike, A Day in the Death of Joe Egg, Young Winston, and The National Health. Um, the five for forty pound offer is still going, and with a low stock update. All right, what we got? We got very low stock. We got Columbia Noir number two. Mm-hmm. Take a Girl Like You and the Triple Echo, the UK edition. Mm-hmm. Um, low stock, we have Town on Trial, Time Without Pity, 20th Century, and The Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn. All films that start with T. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry to, sorry to interrupt here, but I just had a double check just to, just to be accurate. Columbia Noir 2 is now officially out of print. I was going to say, check that Oh, new you were? Link. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, like, in a way, I was just going to say, because um, we're doing this a little late, so I was like, Fuck, something's probably sold out by now. <laughs> well, they did say, yeah, it was getting low, and I think, so Volume 1 and Volume 2, I think, are gone now? Yeah, Volume 1 and Volume 2 are officially out of print. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep. Yeah, there you go. And 3, 4, and... Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're still in stock, but I presume they're getting low on stock. So, yeah, you've got to yeah, get on the quick. Right, wonderful. And uh, that is the newsletter. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. That helps a lot. <laughs> it's perfect. No, it's all good. All Cram- good. Where's the newsletter? I don't know. Yeah, I forgot about it. That's <laughs> uh, all good, man. All cool. good. Um, yeah, I guess, is there any films there that people must pick up? Before they go. Um, from the low stock, uh, no doubt, of course, um, 20th Century. That's one of the best. That's one of the one of their best releases. Mm. And the Lonely Passion of Judith Hearn. Yeah, yeah I like that film. That's a great film. Yeah. Mm. Take and, a girl like you was pretty good. I enjoyed that film too. It's nice. It is. And Triple Echo as well, which surprised me a lot. Kind of blew mm. me away. Um, there was quite a list. Suzanne, were there any there that stood out that 
uh, 20th century, but mm. it's indicator. Get all of them. <laughs> They're all going to be great. Won't be Are you an indicator completist, Suzanne? Well, I don't have the money to be, unfortunately, so I do pick and choose, but yep. I would be. Because yeah. Yeah, right. they just release such great stuff, even if I don't know what it is or I haven't seen it. They, you know, even blind buyers turn out to be great. Yeah, for sure. I do. Yeah, well, you've got a decent chunk. I mean, um, and well, once again, like, you know, the, the sales and stuff is always a good time to just blind buy it and give it a chance. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's a large amount that they release, so it's hard to keep up. But, um, yeah, it's it's always quality, quality stuff. Cool. Um, all right, well, I guess that's it. Um, I guess we can wrap up now. Uh, I, think, I think that's about everything. Um, unless there's anything else. So, no, thank, thank you so much, Suzanne, for coming on. I really appreciate it. That, that was amazing, that knowledge on Robin Hood, and it's really, you know, given us a lot to to think about, especially with the, the set coming out very soon. Thank you. I love talking about it. I love Robin Hood and, um, yeah, getting to talk about a genre that maybe doesn't get talked about quite as often. Yep. Yeah, no, it's definitely surprised me a lot because I, like I didn't know much. Like I just knew the the character, but I didn't know so much in the, the back background the history of it. So, no, thank you. That was amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Tony, Kendall, any final thoughts before we wrap up for the month? No, just thank you again, Suzanne. It was lovely to hear about Robin Hood more in depth. And um, I forgot to pronounce that word, Schlossback. Schloss. <laughs> how, do you, how do you say that word again? Schwashbuckler. Schwashbuckler. You put the schwash <laughs> back that. into Schwashbuckler. <laughs> Imagine Sean Connery saying it. Swash Blackler. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Ah, thank you for that. It was lovely. Yes, Dan. Thank you so much. As always, we love having you on. Your your re- your depth into research is just impeccable. I absolutely adore it. Yeah, that was amazing. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can have you back on again. Uh, we love having you on because it's just you know some of our most popular episodes um so yeah like i said just the knowledge you bring is unbelievable so yeah if there's another you know topic that interests you or something that they've announced coming out soon or, or a particular film just let us know and we'll yeah have you on any time suzanne that, that was amazing thanks for having me i have mentioned to you a little topic i'm interested in talking about in the future so definitely definitely yeah. <laughs> it, it will happen and if if you like my talk of uh, history, you yeah. can go online and look up my podcast, which is a bit spasmodic at the moment. It's been on hiatus for a while, but it's called Laudanum and Lace. So if you haven't listened to that already, you can jump online and have a listen to that because there's lots about history and the supernatural and all kinds of things with that one. I was just about to say where people could find you. So um, I will add the podcast in the show notes and uh, I will attach to the episodes. Everyone can give that a listen as well. So it's it's a great podcast. I've uh, heard every episode and uh, and it, will, will it be 
returning not returning soon is it going to be back on track soon the the podcast so you're just going to see what's what's happening um yeah so definitely i've got lots of planned episodes um we've just quite busy at the moment um with life and all kinds of things but we will be back um takes us a while to prepare for the episodes so but we'll definitely be back absolutely the research you do in them is yeah that, that i presume that would take a while because they're very in-depth discussions awesome cool uh all right well i guess that's it thank you everyone uh for listening and uh we will be back soon with next episode and we will hopefully pick a film soon as well and we'll, we'll do a deep dive and um got some other surprises as well so yeah we'll we'll keep you posted as uh we may have a few more guests on Uh, possibly for an interview soon so i'll let you know about that so anyway uh, thank you everyone and we'll we'll see you then cheers have a good one bye. Bye. bye